hope that you have your Bibles continues to, to be open there to that first verse in all the Bible. Tonight, we're going to cast a rather extensive spotlight on that first verse. In fact, the entirety of the lesson will be drawn from it. It's a passage that's so very familiar. It's a passage that, in fact, has been etched in your mind and mine, perhaps from many, many days long gone by. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And as often as we've reflected upon that, and as often as we have given attention to it, and in fact seen its repercussions throughout the rest of the Bible, that opening verse never ceases to lose its majesty. It never ceases to lose the fervor and the greatness with which the God of heaven has invested it. Tonight, as you and I give some consideration to it, let's begin with, in fact, some introductory remarks. This world, and in fact, not only earth, but the entirety of the solar system is such a majestic, brilliant thing. And the more scientists learn about it, the greater God's fingerprints are seen all over it. Maybe it is in light of that. The creation itself, the very attribute, the nature and character of the creation is a fundamental aspect of the Bible. So many later passages are built upon it. So many later truths are in fact such that they find their ultimate meaning in what is declared in the opening few verses in the Bible. Creation's a hotly debated topic though as well. We each know so well that in the school systems, in the courts of our land, there has been and continues to be an ongoing debate and a raging one at that about what's to be taught. Is it evolution? Is it creation? Is it some admixture of them? Do we teach both of them and let our youngsters make the decision for themselves? You and I know very well in the Bible things are not left with any kind of debate like that. As a matter-of-fact presentation of creation. It is with that in mind you'll notice that although creation is dismissed by a lot of people in our world, those who are intelligent, intellectuals, they often laugh off the thought of creation, as if you and I are rather foolish to even give thought to it. But as you and I will revisit some of its basic matters tonight, using the opening verse of the Bible as our thrust, I think we'll find near the bottom of that slide there's a basic set of declarations that are made. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Let's break that verse apart tonight and break it apart phrase by phrase, in some cases word by word. First three words are these, in the beginning. The first three words in the English Bible are those three. They not only form, of course, the beginning to that verse, they form a number of things that are very significant and vital. Let's use the comments on that slide to, in fact, fill in a few details relative to that little phrase in the beginning. Why don't we begin like this? First of all, the word beginning. You and I know very well that identifies the fact that there was a beginning. In other words, prior to that beginning, there was no universe, physical universe as you and I know it. There was a beginning moment, an initial time, if you please. Prior to that, there was no such thing. Now, in light of that idea, it seems so simple based on the Word, doesn't it? The universe had a beginning, and so it is. The universe is not eternal. Were you aware of the fact that in decades past, there were some rather famous scientists around our world who declared, rather matter-of-factly, the universe was eternal? 
It never had a beginning and it'll never have an end, so they said. But with some of the discoveries of astronomy back a little less than 100 years ago, and with some additional understandings from thermodynamics and otherwise, all scientists now readily agree to the fact that the universe had a beginning. It is not eternal. It is the case, you'll notice near the middle part of that slide, the Bible on so many occasions calls to your appreciation in mind the fact that the universe had a beginning. Now, I would call to your attention Isaiah 46, verse number 10. You'll notice on that occasion, as the God of heaven rather powerfully told Isaiah, from the beginning, and notice he again referenced the beginning, the idea, the very nature and character, the fact that there was an initial moment. To that, you and I might add in Isaiah 48, 3, one more time, the inspired prophet declared rather overwhelmingly the instance, the reality. There's no reason to question or doubt this. Now, there are science textbooks today that your students or your children and, and mine may well be reading and as they look into those, there will be proclamations and declarations about the fact that from the scientist's standpoint, that beginning was a whole lot further back in time than what the Bible says. That might be another thing you and I can etch into our appreciation. The presentations of modern science often disagree on when that beginning occurred. You'll notice that time predated, as you can see, the sun. Now, pause at that moment and note this. You and I know that our calendar, in terms of the time frame we call a year, that's based on the amount of time it takes Earth to make one journey around the sun. But yet, notice here, in the beginning, that predated the sun. The sun wasn't created until day four. And yet, in the beginning was affirmed before that. There was a reality, you see, of the beginning of this cosmos, the beginning of this universe, and it is declared matter-of-factly in the opening verse. Why don't you and I add the following thought to that? I stated a moment ago that modern science now rather clearly seems to declare that this universe began about 13.8 billion years ago in an event called the Big Bang. It was a moment, a particular matter in which bursting into existence in that great cataclysmic event was ultimately what would evolve into all the planets, the galaxies, the solar systems, and everything else. And ultimately, of course, human life on this planet evolved out of it as well. Now, please notice the Bible will not withstand any such claim. This universe isn't nearly that old. In fact, as you and I allow the great Son of God Himself to declare it, He told us rather clearly, did He not? As you and I read texts like Mark chapter 10, He reminds us in verse 6 of that chapter that in the beginning God created male and female. Therefore, if you and I can ascertain how old Adam was, the earth would be five days older. We basically will know how old the earth is if we can ascertain how old Adam was. Thankfully, the Bible tells us that answer. There are genealogies recorded in the book of Genesis. Now, those genealogies are not merely this. It's true that they tell us how old the father was when his son was born, but they tell us not only the name, again, they give us the age. 
All we've got to do is take a piece of paper or a calculator and add them up. There was about 2,000 years from Jesus going back to Abraham. And based on those genealogies, about 2,000 years from Abraham back to Adam. Therefore, there was 4,000 years from Adam to, to Jesus. And Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago. Therefore, we can clearly stay from the Word of God, the earth is only a slight bit over 6,000 years old. It's not to be numbered in the billions. It's not even in the millions. It isn't even in the hundreds of thousands. The earth is far, far younger than many of our present age would like to think. But it did have a beginning. And as you and I come near the close of that slide, might we appreciate this? Not only did the universe have a beginning... It is not eternal from this point forward either. It'll have an ending. In 2 Peter 3 verse 10, this rather remarkable statement is found. As Peter made those remarks concerning that second coming of Christ, he added these comments. He spoke that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens, note heavens, shall pass away with a great noise. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It isn't just the earth that will be destroyed. It's the heavens. That includes everything in the, amongst the celestial bodies. So this universe had a beginning. It's also going to have an ending. We learn all of that from a recollection of in the beginning. But what else does that verse say? It goes on to say this. In the beginning, as you look at the grammar of that verse, that phrase in the beginning is a prepositional one. It gives information about the nature of when the subject did its action. Let's look at the subject. When you and I learned English, we learned that, of course, a, a sentence will need to have a subject, something that does the action. Here's the subject. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. It's time then to think a bit about that word that occurs at that place. And to think about the grandeur and the beautiful subject that is to be found within it. You'll notice that before then the beginning, the material things that we appreciate in this universe, they were not in existence. In fact, let's jump over to Hebrews 11 verse 3 for a moment and note this. By faith we understand that the things that you and I now observe, there was a time when they were not here. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It's not that God took something already in existence and turned it into this which you and I now appreciate as earth. He literally brought into existence that which formerly did not exist. Now to contemplate that, note this. That word God that occurs in this verse, perhaps you and I can note this interesting observation. It's plural. That word God that occurs in Genesis 1 verse 1 is plural. Now when you and I reflect on that, we understand that when we use a singular word to refer to something, there's just one. When we use a plural word, there was more than one. We immediately learn something about the Godhead. There is, of course, as you and I know, more than just God the Father. There's God the Son and there's God the Spirit. And all of them were here involved and all were such that they had a role and a part to play in the majesty of that creation. The word God is plural. 
Consider this with me. Isn't it fascinating how that the Bible is so different than many of the things men have written when it comes to the matter of the origin? I say that for this reason. When you study Greek mythology and when you make a reference to some of the Roman gods, one of the things that they like to do is offer an explanation for how that god or goddess came about. Such and such was the offspring of some other deity. Would you ponder this with me? The Bible makes no attempt to explain the existence of God. This opening verse just says, There He was. In the beginning, God. It doesn't attempt to offer an explanation. It doesn't attempt to offer a discussion or conversation about it. It just states that in His greatness, here He was, and He brought about that creation. You and I must be amazed at the grandeur, the power, and the awesomeness of God. This creation over which we read in the next few verses, what He did on day one and day two and day three and so forth, He did all of that with His greatness. It's not that those things existed previously. Not only that, you may notice that His eternality is a very vital part of the Bible. God didn't have a beginning. He has always been. He is now. And He will always be. Now that transcendence is difficult for you and me to fathom. We're accustomed to the fact we had a beginning. There was a time when you and I were born. We didn't exist at some point in the distant past. But God has always been. And time is no restriction to Him. For one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. To borrow the wording of 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Isn't it fascinating then to recollect passages like Exodus 3 verse 14. When Moses was being commissioned by God to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. You may recall that one of the first questions that Moses asked, Who am I supposed to tell them has sent me? God's reply was so very telling. You tell them, I am has sent you. What's your name? I am. I have been. I am now. I always will be. Again, He is. He is the wonderful God that we serve and we worship and we adore and honor Him based on what He has accomplished and what He has done. And we eagerly await, of course, that which He continues to do. I am. Not only that, in Psalm 148, verse number 5, in that particular chapter, one more time, His greatness, His creative character is highlighted. And isn't it true that one more time, the greatness is put in such beautiful language? This might be an appropriate time to interject something. You'll notice it's the statements of science. In a moment, we'll revisit some of the other things. Science is quick to say today, and perhaps you and I remember it as one of the laws of science. Neither matter nor energy can be created nor destroyed. Now notice that directly asserts that although you can transfer or translate or change energy from one form to another, in the human family we cannot create any more of it. What was invested in this universe at the time of its beginning is all we're ever going to have. And yet here at the creation, this being we call God brought into existence energy and matter that formerly did not exist. It was a great miracle. It 
transcending the laws of science. Doesn't that give us an impression of how great that He was? And how great, of course, was the work that He did. It is with that in mind, look at some of these additional verses. In Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist highlighted, did he not, that the creative activity of God is reason for you and I to honor Him and praise Him. This universe truly is spectacular, isn't it? We look about and find these regular periods of rain and sunshine, but we peer into the heavens and aren't we amazed at the stars and the myriad of heavenly bodies? And yet as we look at all of them and appreciate that God fashioned them, He made them, they didn't come about by happenstance or accident, and they did not form as a result of some ancient explosion. Couldn't we identify it like this? Do explosions bring about order? Isn't it true that you and I often watch demolitions on TV? Someone wishes to destroy a building or a bridge. They set some dynamite up around its base, and lo and behold, the thing is destroyed. An explosion does not bring about order. Are we to believe somehow an ancient explosion has led to the order we see in the universe? That's nonsense of the highest order. Our God, the great engineer, if you please, He put into place these things. And we highlight in it the beauty and the remarkable perseverance of what He's fashioned. Isn't it true? As you look at verses like Isaiah 57 verse 15, this God that we've been referring to, He inhabits eternity. He inhabits eternity. Where does God dwell? He dwells in eternity. Again, time is no constriction or restriction either one to Him. In the beginning, God. So far, we've looked at four words in the verse. Let's look at some more. In addition to those two, let's come to the verb of the sentence. In the beginning, God created. As you and I reflect on the word created, I've asked you to consider some of the details about it. The Hebrew word that's actually apparent in this place is a word that has a tremendous significance in much of the books of Genesis and Exodus. It's the word B-A-R-A, bara. It's a rather fascinating word. You'll notice that it identifies creation from nothing. Notice, it's not merely a reshuffling of what already exists. It's not merely a reshaping or remolding of something that's already here. This word means to bring into existence something new, something that hadn't existed before. No wonder the word created is so appropriate in a place like that one. God created. No wonder as you look at some of those additional things, it truly was a miracle in every sense of the word. Again, as you think about what the defining idea of a miracle is, isn't it this? A miracle is that phenomenon in which the laws of nature and science are superseded and set aside for the reality of this phenomenon. And the Bible is filled with references to this. Men walking on water and the Red Sea parting, axe heads that float, turning water to wine. And on and on the list goes. And yet at the creation, there was nothing and then there was something because God brought it into existence 
fully suspending what would become the first law of thermodynamics. As that took place, this word bara explains it. Another way in which you'll often see it referenced in articles or at least in other kinds of documents and things like that, this phrase ex nihilo. Again, if you ever encounter that, that means creation from nothing. It's not that something was already there and it was again reformed or shaped. This literally is creation out of nothing. And that's what God did. That kind of creation brings us to notice the Word of God so often uses the reality of that creation as reason to honor and praise God because men can't do this. No amount of men, no matter how intelligent, no matter how much effort or money might be at their disposal, they cannot create ex nihilo. Now, men can convert things from one form to another. They can reshape and repurpose, but only God can create. That kind of creation takes you to notice a few of these verses. The Word of God is filled with references to the act of creation and what it should spring up in the mind of men because of it. You and I truly are to stand in awe when we consider what God did. It was remarkable. It was great. It truly was a miracle. For instance, in Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9, the psalmist there said, He commanded and it was done. Notice that's a statement by the Word of God this happened. That's all God had to do was speak and there was light on day one. And there was a firmament on day two. The dry land appeared on day three as the waters were collected. There was a greater light and a lesser light on day four. How so? Because God spoke them into existence. Isn't there power in the Word of God? That thought continues throughout the Bible, doesn't it? There's power in His Word. Sure enough, that principle even describes this book that you and I hold. Oh, it's true, this book doesn't create anything like that, but it can create new life inasmuch as you and I read verses like these. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. When a person is baptized into Christ, they come out of that water something different than what went in. They were a sinner before. They were lost without God, without Christ, and no hope in the world, Ephesians 2.12. But come out of that water. They're a child of God, a Christian bought by the blood of the Lamb. As such, you notice God's Word through the activity of the Spirit made something fantastic and new. The Word of God, you see, has within it the kinds of things we see in some of those references. To select just a handful of them. In Jeremiah 32, 17, that prophet on that occasion, God said, speaking of His arm, my arm and my right hand are able to create and I am the Almighty. Again, men can't do that. Isn't it fascinating to contemplate Mark 13, 19? As Jesus, in the midst of His presentation and preaching, He commented, didn't He, about the relationship concerning what would be the end of time, and He made reference to the creative activity of God. Maybe one final passage might be Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 4. 
an interesting principle as they're asserted. It's so simple. Every house is builded by, some, by somebody. When you and I see a given edifice, a house, we know it didn't build itself. That's foolish to even consider it. And yet this universe is a rather marvelous house. Who made it? The God of heaven did it. Sure enough, then, isn't it easy to conclude? For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Oh, the creative activity. In the beginning, God created. One last thought on that slide, then, surely must be this. May you and I never allow ourselves to fail to appreciate and honor God for His limitless power. What He did at the time of the creation. What He did at the beginning. The verse goes on. In the beginning, God created the heaven. Now what's included in that reference? So what is it about the heaven? You'll notice it was again rather clearly stated. The first mention of course, of heaven anywhere in the Bible is here in this opening verse. But might you and I note that something unusual about this word. First of all, note again on the opening statement. It's plural. It's plural. Now, as you think about that, you'll notice one thing that casts a great spotlight on this particular passage. So in the beginning, God created the heavens, and other translations of the Bible will typically present it as directly plural. This word Hebrew that appears in this plural reference, you and I know that there are several heavens, if you please, that are identified in the Bible. Later on day number five, when God created the birds, He referred to them as the birds of the heavens. So birds fly in the heavens, and hence the word heaven can be used to refer to the atmosphere around the earth, that place where the clouds are and that place where there's the air that you and I breathe. But it's also true that later when God was speaking to Abraham, He referred to the stars of the heavens. So the stars also exist in the heavens. And there, of course, they're well beyond the envelope of the earth's atmosphere. They're in what we would call outer space. You'll notice in light of all those things, there's, of course, a third reference as well. In Psalm 11, verses 3 and 4, God's throne is in heaven. And so we have three usages of the word heaven. But yet this opening verse says, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." That reference to the heaven, you'll notice, immediately identifies the following. Apparently, on this opening statement, it is not a reference to the place where God dwells. We know that because Psalm 119 verse 89 provides commentary on that point, and apparently the word heaven, as it occurs in this verse, is not a reference to His dwelling place. God was already dwelling in heaven and in the beginning, His creation of heavens and earth was not the place where He was living. Maybe you and I can shed some spotlight on it like this. It appears that God then in this opening verse made what you and I would recognize as that vast expanse of the outer space. But He didn't put any stars in it yet. They didn't occur till day four. 
but that expanse of space, that emptiness, that nothingness, if you please, He fashioned at the very outset. When you and I add the following thoughts to this, Nehemiah 9 verse 6 offers some commentary. That great man, Nehemiah, he referred to the events and the nature of this great expanse. He highlighted the nothingness that was there. And then, of course, thereafter, God filled it with stars and galaxies and the other things in outer space. In addition to that, in Job 9 verse 8 and Amos 5 verse 8, both, we have references to this heavens. When you and I look up into the heavens through the evenings, we're able to look through the earth's atmosphere and we often see those objects out in space, stars and planets. We often can even see sometimes other things like the Milky Way galaxy and so forth. And as we look at them, we truly are amazed at the vastness of the heavens. Scientists even to this day struggle sometimes to just consider the true size of it. You and I as human beings appreciate that we serve and worship the God who made that. As vast, as great, as phenomenal as it is, He made it. To that might we add this. It's a touching statement in 2 Kings 19 when on that occasion you and I are told that the very one who made all of that is the one that you and I have the privilege of calling our Father, and the one who you and I can know, and even more than that, He knows us. I suppose it would be easy to think that a being that great would have little interest in little old me or you. But yet that isn't so. God's wisdom, His knowledge is so vast and great, not only can He oversee all of that creation... He could be concerned about you and me, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered, are they not? Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. As you and I close that slide, we've then seen in the beginning God created the heaven. But there's one more statement in that verse. One more thing that captures our attention. It says, and the earth. And the earth. Consider with me then the earth for the next little bit in our lesson this, this evening. Let's begin by noting this. The next physical entity, the next observed matter in that passage is this reference to the earth. May I suggest to you that this planet on which we live is extraordinarily special. It is remarkably unique. Let's put some details to that statement. In Isaiah 45, verse number 18, this commentary is given. God made earth to be inhabited. There was something about this planet that God fashioned, especially in light of the fact that it was His will that it be inhabited by human beings. To be inhabited with life. Now today, you and I know that astronomers have turned their telescopes into the distant recesses of heaven. They have in so many places found things that look at least similar in size to earth. They even are near to some source of energy like a sun. But none of them are inhabited. This earth is inhabited. This place, this planet, this particular thing that's just the right distance from the sun. 
just close enough to be warm enough, but not too far away to be too cold. The temperature is just right to have water in all three forms. Water exists on this planet in the steam form as a vapor. It exists in liquid form as liquid water. It exists in frozen form as ice. All of it's here. God made this planet specially, uniquely, amazingly. As He did so, consider with me this. This earth at the very outset was rather different than it is today. For that text goes on to say this, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. When it was first made, the earth was void. It was empty. And not only that, it was bathed in darkness. But you'll notice verse 3 quickly makes a transformation. It says in that next verse, The Spirit of God was brooding over the waters. And God said, let there be light. God did something amazing for this place. This planet earth to which you and I have turned our attention, notice God brought order to it. In the days that follow, one by one, He made something very special for this place. And ultimately, plant life appeared on day three. Life in the oceans on day five and in the atmosphere as well. Day six, land-dwelling creatures appeared. Finally, even mankind himself. One by one, as God ordered the features and the characteristics of it, isn't it fascinating that it's that idea, it's that truth that brings us to reflect even on 2 Peter 3.13. We look for new heavens and a new earth. Now that statement is really a quotation from Isaiah chapters 65 and 66. And that quotation reminds us in context of this. Then God through Isaiah was affirming when those people come back from Babylon, I'm going to make a new place for them. When Peter quotes that in 2 Peter chapter 3, he highlights the fact this earth is going to be destroyed, verse 10. And so God's people, and yea, all people, will look for and yearn for a new place to dwell. You and I long for heaven we look for that place. It is that sweet place of promise spoken of in 1 John 2.25 as well as in Colossians 1 verse 6. So far tonight we've looked at Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And one by one every phrase, every word has opened up to you and me a fantastic degree of meaning and significance. Let's conclude our lesson with these very brief final remarks. In this opening verse of the Bible, notice then what we've seen that began. In the beginning, the beginning point of time, God, the great monumental force, created the very initiative of activity, the heaven, the greatness of outer space and the features concerning it, and the earth. This planet on which we dwell. Five things were highlighted then in that phrase. They were all a great significance and an importance, and the rest of the Bible will build on that reality to set forth great truths about that God that created, the things that He did create, what happened at the beginning when He did, and what's going to happen at the end of time when He closes the affairs of time. 
Isn't it so special then to serve that God? To honor Him appropriately and to praise Him for what He's done. One of the greatest insults that the human family can ever, ever put forth is to fail to honor Him for this creation He's made. To attribute it to some kind of an explosion or to, tri to attribute it to some kind of an accident, that's an insult, that's a slap in the face of God. He made it and He deserves to be honored for it. And may you and I as faithful Christians always do that. When we come together at times like this, we sing to Him about it. Some of the songs in our book honor His creation and the fact that He did it. And of course, His book on so many occasions does the same. Tonight, have you turned your life over to the point of honoring Him? If you have not, why not tonight? There can never be a better time than this one, the 16th of July, 2017. If we could help you tonight as you respond to the public, uh, the gospel call of invitation in a public way, we'd be honored to help you. Believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess His name and be baptized. If you have begun that walk with Him, and you honored Him for the greatness of His creation and all other things He's done, but maybe over time you've become calloused, you've become indifferent, you've become apathetic with regard to it, may I suggest you are in dangerous territory. The creation speaks time and again, and if you fail to acknowledge Him, the Bible says you have no excuse. Wouldn't it be tragic to show up on the day of judgment with all the greatness of the creation and all the world that He made and then to fail to have honored Him? And then He says, Why couldn't you see that I made it all? I engulfed you in its vastness and yet you ignored it. What kind of answer would you have? What would you be able to say? I have a feeling everyone would be speechless. Tonight, if you would wish to then come back to your first love, we would be happy to pray to God on your behalf. We'd be happy to study with you, to encourage you. If this evening there might be anyone in this audience that would wish to make a public response to the gospel, perhaps in light of the greatness of Genesis 1 verse 1, we would encourage you to come and God would invite you to do so and do it now while together we stand and while we sing.